Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Hello everyone, welcome back to Massive Late Fee for March 5th, 1994. My name is Mark, with me as always is my girlfriend Carol. How are you doing Carol? What's up? So we've had a good week here at Massive Late Fee as usual. Into the news, this is probably, I don't know, one of the, I mean, I don't know that I would consider it necessarily entertainment news, although it's certainly been entertaining. But this is the probably the biggest news story going on right now. Tanya Harding finishes eighth at the Olympics. Her program started first, as I'm sure most of you saw. The ratings for CBS were enormous. She had some problem with her skate, I guess, hmm. before uh, she came out. And she miffed her first jump looked terrible. I don't know a lot about figure skating. It's very hard for me to judge, but even I could tell that first jump was a disaster. She goes to the judges, presents her skates, says she has problems with lace, the laces or something like that. They allow her to restart and she continues her program. Then they did the they break it up into artistic and sporting, I don't know what the hell the other one's called. Technical? Yeah, technical, that's it. But anyway, so she ended up finishing eighth. Of course, Nancy Kerrigan wins the silver medal. Oksana Bayul wins the gold medal. She was obviously the favorite. But then afterwards, Tanya Harding sort of slipped out of the consciousness now. She's still a little bit in there, but most people are focused on on Nancy Kerrigan now. And... Afterwards, she was in, she's got this, I think it's like $2 million, it's a it's multi-million dollar deal with the Walt Disney Corporation, on a float in a Disney parade and caught on mic, not, uh, you know, a, a mic that was still on, she didn't know it was on, that she uh, was saying that this is so stupid and this is corny and oh, no. things like that. So... The public perception of her is starting to to change. I read a nice article in the LA Times, which as you know I get a subscription to, and it basically said that the media has built her up to be this princess mm-hmm. kind of character, and no one can live up to that hype. And now they're tearing her down, which is something that society likes to do for whatever reason. But yeah, that is the Olympics. Uh, that was almost a week ago now. It happened a few days after we did our last recording of this and disseminated it to you fine people. And so it's you know, not quite old news, especially the stuff about the Disney parade, but almost a week on now and things are moving on. I read another interesting article as far as the news goes. This is the last news item I have. But it talked about how a group of inner city kids on Martin Luther King Day went to see Schindler's List and they started laughing what at the movie and the article that i was reading was by a black journalist who basically said that the reason that they laughed is because they weren't laughing at the holocaust they weren't laughing at the horrors they weren't laughing to be rude they weren't laughing to, you know, as a stress relief kind of thing. They were laughing just at the movie because 
for he talked about for years he used to watch old Hollywood movies with his mom. And one of the games that he would play is count how many black people were in the movie. How many people it looked like him. And what roles they played. And he said that in these movies, obviously there's not many. From, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there's obviously not a big representation of black people in movies. And normally they would play the minstrel or the servant or something like that. They were relegated to those roles. And he said that, you know, when we watch a horror movie now and we cheer if a black guy makes it halfway through the film, that that's sort of, that's what black culture is used to as far as their representation. They feel detached from movies. They don't feel personal connections to films. Apparently, the school thought that they would take them to see Schindler's List to sort of teach them about the struggles of their culture through the struggles of another culture. Interesting. Well, there's not a lot of movies about the horrors of slavery. It's one of those things that you think about. There are two great atrocities. No matter what your political affiliation, I think everyone can agree with this. There are two great atrocities of America. One is the enslavement of black people from the late 1600s, basically, uh, up until the Civil War. And the other is the wholesale slaughter and, and genocide of the Native American people when we found, you know, when we came to this land and took it over, basically. And you don't see that in movies much. No. You see a lot about World War II. You see a lot about other things. They'll make movies about Idi Amin or the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia or things in Vietnam, you see a lot of the atrocities of everyone else around the world. In the 80s, they made that movie, I think it was called Passage to India, uh, about the the British and Indian relations. Britain used to own India, and there's a lot of racism that goes in, into that relationship, even still to this day. So we see a lot about that IRA you can name it. Just different atrocities of different cultures all over the all over the world. But you don't get a lot of, especially the Native American stuff, where it really focuses on the slaughter of, yeah. of Indians. We, we get a little bit of their stories here and there, but yeah, that dances with wolves and stuff like that. But they don't focus on that... The it was a holocaust of those people very much. And you don't get a lot of movies that are very honest and very direct about slavery. There are movies about slavery, just like there's movies about the civil rights movement and things like that. But there are very few movies outside of maybe Roots, I guess, that are just brutally direct about slavery. So they took them to see Schindler's List to sort of educate them and they like this writer says they're not used to empathizing or, or connecting with movies on an emotional level like that because they're not represented in them and that's sort of why they laughed and he said they're not educated about their own culture about the what their their ancestors went through they don't know they don't get this this kind of this kind of exposure you know, and uh, so that's that's a big issue, I suppose, 
in the black community, they should be better educated about what happened to them and exactly, not to them, but what happened to their ancestors and exactly how it was. And there should be more movies that, that deal frankly and directly with those issues, I think. Yeah, I mean, it would probably be helpful. It's, I still, I'm sorry, I mean, like, I understand what you're saying, but it's hard for me to understand it, to imagine watching that movie and not being emotionally connected to it. Yeah, they, they just couldn't, they couldn't connect. And he, he, the writer says, you know, six million Jews, that's, that six million is a, a number that's etched into our consciousness. But the whatever it is, 50 million black people brought over here, that people don't talk about it. And so he sort of makes that point. I kind of agree with you. It's hard for me to see anybody laughing at any parts of it. I don't see... I can't think of what's funny about the movie. No, nothing. There is nothing funny about that movie. But but yeah, he used it to, to kind of make a broader statement about that they're just... Basically, without saying it, he basically said the kids were ignorant. They were ignorant of the totality of it that the the horror of it because they didn't understand it the holocaust and they didn't understand their own their own pain from their their culture see i mean to me it makes more sense to say you know they were laughing as stress relief or whatever and i don't know how this guy who wrote this article can speak for them yeah that's the one problem i had with the article is that he there is no quote there are no quotes from the teacher or the students or anybody it's basically him giving his perspective as a black journalist who grew up watching movies from that i think the article has value as far as this is his point of view but as an actual explanation of why they laughed in this theater i don't think it it it's up to muster right but yeah, that's the uh, the stories that I have for this week. So very cheery stuff there. Yeah, way to start us off there, babe. Uh, but we'll go into our TV picks of the week. This week, you watched Step by Step, Nightmare Weekend. Yes. Is the name of the episode. Yes, I watched Nightmare Weekend. And um, I-, I like this show. I know you really don't care for it as much. It's one of the worst shows ever made. <laughs> Um, but I, I really didn't like this episode. It was it was pretty bad. Um, it takes a lot for you to be a worse version of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Wait, okay. are you saying you don't like the Brady Bunch? Well, the Brady Bunch is kind of corny. Well, yeah, but you got to take it in context of the time. Yeah, it's fine, I suppose. But this is a pale imitation of... of they took two people who were famous in the 1970s and early 80s. Suzanne Somers was on Three's Company with John Ritter and... I can't think of the the black hair girl's name. Anyway, she was on uh, Joyce DeWitt. Okay. Uh, Anyway, so she was on that show. And Patrick Duffy, obviously, was famous uh, for being on Dallas. So they took two aging stars and said, hey be in a, a TV show together and we'll give you a smattering of various aged annoying children. 
Yeah, that's a, it's a lot of kids in the house. Um, but it, it starts out with um, both, you know, the uh, adult people, Summers and Duffy's characters. I can't think of their Frank names. Frank and... I can't think of her name. Yeah. I can just hear her calling him Frank. Yeah. Carol. Carol. Your name. Oh, my name. Yeah. <laughs> Frank <laughs> and Carol. So... You know, they're, they're starting out all flirty and cute and stuff, but then she asks him um, if he knows what today is, which is, you know, that fate, that fatal question to men. And he's like, well, I know it's not our anniversary because our anniversary is by the Super Bowl. Right. And it's not, you know, this because that's by this sports related thing. And, you know, he equates everything to sports, which just pisses her off as it would me. Um, and it was the anniversary of the first time that they met. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's kind of stupid. They're married. They should probably just celebrate their wedding anniversary, but whatever. Well, you don't think they celebrate every single milestone? This is the first time we kissed. You think when we when we get married, we won't celebrate, uh, hey, this was the first day we held hands. Or this is our... Uh... We don't do that. No, don't I... listen to him. I know we don't. We are not that lame. We do celebrate the anniversary of our first date. Yeah. But, I mean, when I don't think that once we're married that we would celebrate that. Do you really think we would? I don't know if I'd celebrate. I think I'll always remember what day it was, but I don't know if I w- we would celebrate it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems like uh, there's enough going on in life. Anyway, um... So, the the kids in the house are watching a scary movie... And, um, cause the parents have gone out of town to try to reconnect or whatever. And, um, the youngest, the, the nerdy kid, Mark, I think, yeah, hit your name. Yeah. I know this show, this show that I hate contains both your name and my name. He's making fun of their, their scary movie. Well, they decided to get back at him, which is terrible. Um, so he's trying to sleep and. And they set up, like, thudding in the closet, and he gets up to check, and they, they're they literally pretending to be dead. I think that is, that, that's taken it too far. I mean, you get woken up from sleep and find dead people. I could at least see it, though. I could see siblings doing this to each other. I guess. I would never have, you know, done that to anybody. So, okay. So then he goes downstairs, freaking out. And Cody, who I'm assuming is in charge, I mean, they, this is ridiculous to Cody. Leave. Cody couldn't be in charge of the cup holder in his van. Right? But he's the oldest person. He's, like, supposed to be the adult. He's the quote-unquote cousin that they allow to sleep in a van in their driveway. <laughs> so that just shows you the level of judgment that Frank and Carol have. I guess if JT is supposed to be, that's the oldest son. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be probably 15, 16, something yeah. like that. So I guess he's in, I, like, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with them leaving with, especially because the two girls are also around the same age. Yeah, I think Dana's the oldest. Yeah, so they're all combined. They should all be responsible enough. I guess. But, but yeah, um, Cody's also there to, uh creepily hit on his quote-unquote cousin (laughs) not the ones he's actually related to no and only the one only dana is that her name dana dana (laughs) burger so you know he gives this brilliant piece of advice to don't get mad get even right just continue this crap 
Um, so. <laughs> yeah, the the discount. Uh, what's his name from Bill and Ted's uh, Keanu Reeves? Yeah. Yeah, the disc. Uh, whoa! Don't don't get mad. Get even, dude. Right. Right. So. He helps Mark, and, and um, you know, so the older kids are helping. So they get the power off, and... Now, here's what I don't get. They've got the power off. There's this weird moaning sound. There's something covered with a little sheet in the table. Would you walk over and pull the sheet off? Probably not. Yeah. I think I would leave. I, I, I don't really see the point, but... He walks over, pulls the sheet off, and it's Mark's head. Ah, ha, ha. Scary, scary. So they're all freaking out. Then uh, Dana comes downstairs. And in doing a quick little head count of all the monsters in the room, they're like, wait a minute. Who's that then? Who's this monster if that's Dana? And uh, everybody runs out of the house screaming. And, of course, it's Dana's friend. So, you know, everybody's just playing pranks on each other, which to me says this is not a great idea, Mom and Dad. To leave the house? Yeah. Leave all these hormonal kids all alone for a weekend. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like it, this could have turned into Caligula, in, right? In yeah. real life, because you're, you're leaving a bunch of teenagers that aren't actually blood related to each other alone in the house. So, and then the parents' little getaway does not go so well either. No. Um, they get up there, and he Frank has decided to you know try to make things up to Carol. By getting the same cabin that they had gone to before. Except she's never been there with him. He was there with somebody else. Two years before they met. Right. As he points out. because Or no, I guess a year before they met. Because he says that they went there in, I think, November or December of 1989. Okay. And they didn't meet until the summer of 1990. Yeah, so it, it's kind of ridiculous. His wife died, right? That's what happens to yeah, his wife? Yeah, I think so. I think they both both of them are, you know, widow and widower. Um, okay, so they, they go back and forth. She wants to leave. You know, they're trying to, to make amends and get everything right. And then some stupid guy comes in who actually recognizes him from that long ago. It's so weird. Yeah. Five years he recognizes Patrick Duffy. And then he's saying, like, how would you not get this? He's like, hey, uh, Pam, didn't you used to have red hair? It's like, uh, that's not her, you idiot. Right. So that's making it worse. And in the end, um, you know, he ends up saying something sweet and they make up and it's all fine. But, I mean, overall, the whole episode just, I was disappointed. Because it's corny and stupid. Like every episode of Step by Step. That's not true. There are some good ones. Uh, maybe the Dana-focused episodes where she is a feminist and tries to uh, save the planet and stuff. You know, they make any any time... I'm going to make another political statement. Anytime they have a strong character in a TV show, especially a strong female character, especially if it's a younger woman, then her two causes are always feminism and the environment, and that's it. And that's all she cares about. There's there's two types of women on TV. I'm upset, or teenage women. I'm obsessed with boys and fashion, or I like the environment and feminism and equality. And there's no there's no overlap. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. I think you got a point. 
They should they should have more rounded characters. Well, TV is TV for the. I know we talk about TV and movies, but TV for the most part is dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have to agree with you. You know, I, I used to just watch it for enjoyment, but now that I'm actually watching it to talk about it and try to have some insights, I'm realizing how bad a lot of it really is. If you want to see something interesting, you see a movie. Right. If you want to see mindless entertainment see you know watch a, a tv show the only interesting tv show that's on right now honestly is seinfeld and it's only interesting in a very specific way where it's talking about the minutiae of life it's philosophical about it's grand philosophy about things that don't matter at all right and that's that's part of the absurdity and the humor of the show that's why it's funny but it's also the only show that makes you think. It's just what it makes you think about is meaningless. It's a show about nothing. Yeah, pretty much. But So that's really the only interesting show on TV right now. There, Even the dramas, there's very few shows that just have any depth. I, I, I feel like the networks, CBS and NBC and ABC, and I guess Fox, the new one, they... Uh, they need people to push them. They're, they're not being creative. They need, they need, I don't know, there needs to be more t- t- television networks, I guess. Because, well, maybe we should write something good. Yeah, we should. What if we wrote a show? Let's, if we had something interesting to say, so let's see, let's come up with a TV show right now. Uh, we want it to have a diverse cast. So okay. we've talked about diversity. Yeah. We want it so there's white people in the show, but black, Mexican, all different races and genders in the show. That all, there's no main one star, really. Okay. And let's see, what's something that's topical now? How about drugs? Cracks going around and cocaine, stuff like that. So some of them could be drug dealers. Some of them could be police. So let's set it in... A city that has a bad problem with the, we could put it in Baltimore. New York. Well, we could put it in Baltimore, in Maryland. Okay. There's a lot of racial tension in in that city. There's a lot of drug trade in that city, so we do that, and the characters are well defined. They have a bit. They have big arcs. There's good guys and bad guys, but not they're they're not just confined to those roles. The bad guys also do good things. And the, and the good guys also do bad things. Yeah. And it's just very morally ambiguous, and it's about life, uh, you know, life how it really is on the street. So let's, we should write a show like that. Sure. So, yeah, we'll work on that. We'll let you know how that goes. Or, here's another idea. How about, this is also with drugs, how about a good guy? Like, just very good person, a teacher, who, he's got a terminal illness. He's going to die. Okay? Okay, you're you're making a lot of serious, serious stuff here. So he wants to provide for his family. And one of his old students deals drugs. So he decides he's going to deal drugs as well. That does not sound very realistic. But... 
as the show goes on, he slowly becomes a worse and worse person. In chasing after this money and materialism, he loses his soul and becomes just this horrible guy. It's sort of about his descent. That sounds kind of good. So, you know, we could write that show. Sure. All right. Well, we'll think about this stuff, guys, and we'll get back to you. But my show that I watched, going to a little more lighter fare, I watched Lois and Clark, The New (laughs) Adventures of Superman. Tell us. Tell us more. Well, there is one reason to watch this show. And her name is Terry Hatch. <laughs> oh, you don't like it so much when it's on the other foot, huh? Terry Hatcher is a great actress with a lot of good assets as far as acting goes. Yes, she is a very good-looking woman. I've never seen her before this. Couple big assets, right? <laughs> But no, this, she, this, it really is, it's not a good show. I'll say that. It's an okay show, but it's very, it's very corny. It's very fluffy. It's not, it's standard superhero stuff, basically. I mean, that's kind of how, besides Batman, that's sort of how superhero movies are. If you, if you think of the original Superman movie, 1978, Christopher Reeve. Now you got Dean Kane. They look similar-ish. He's a good Superman. And that's something for the ladies, Dean Kane. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it's it's kind of like that, but it's just updated as a 90s version of that. Okay. And so on this episode, it's just called The Rival. And this is, obviously, this is in its first season. So I don't know how many of you have gone out and seen Lois and Clark, but if you're a red-blooded American man... You should definitely watch it, at least for Terry Hatcher. I'll say that. But anyway, so Lois, her rival, her old rival from school, comes in and takes a job at the Metropolis Star, the rival newspaper to the Daily Planet, run by the great Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap, for those of you who have watched that show that I used to love. He played Al on Quantum Leap. So oh, okay. he runs the thing. And Lois's rival keeps getting the scoop on stories. She keeps getting the inside track. Well, eventually, Clark decides to leave the Daily Planet and go work with her on the Metropolis Star. And she's flirting with Clark a lot, and mm. it's making Lois very jealous. I'm sure. They're not together ish, they just kind of flirt. But I guess this. This girl used to take all of Lois's boyfriends and stuff like that when they were in school, too. So, he goes to work with her. It's later revealed in the episode that he wasn't really going to work with her, but him and Perry, the Perry White, the editor, decided that it was suspicious that they kept getting scooped on all these stories. Okay. And he wanted Clark to go undercover to figure out what was going on. Makes sense. So Lois figures this out, so she starts working with Clark, trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, it turns out that Dean Stockwell's character had was engineering these crimes. Oh. So they could get the scoop on everything. Wow. 
And so eventually he gets arrested and, and you know, like uh, he goes to jail and justice is served. Superman saves the day a- as, as per usual. Right. So that's kind of the outline of the episode. Uh, I think this show's probably worth checking out. Like I said, it's worth checking out Terry Hatcher. There's a few other women on the show that are also good looking. But Terry Hatcher is the main attraction. As far as the show goes. You know, people have said I look like Terry Hatcher, so. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not even going to be jealous. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so that's Lois and Clark. Like I said, it's in its first season. Obviously, we're getting closer to the breaks. The TV takes breaks. Yeah. And then there will be the summer when all the reruns come on. So if you've missed any of the episodes, you'll probably be able to catch them during the summer, during reruns. And so, yeah, but I would check out Lois and Clark. It's a, it's a decent show. Speaking of, when, when the breaks come, when summer comes, we're going to need to find some other stuff to talk about. So if you guys have any ideas about what you'd like to hear or like to have us do, you know, let us know. We might do some more cable stuff. I know there's not a lot of shows on cable or a lot of original programming. I watch some Comedy Central stuff, and there is some good stuff on Comedy Central, but a lot of it's still like just long mm-hmm. blocks of stand-up comics and it's hard to talk about that although i guess we could do some reviews of stand-up comedians or yeah, whatever we could. but anyway so yeah we'll we'll be looking for something to do during the summer but speaking of good-looking women this uh besides you mm-hmm. this episode is sort of chock full of good-looking women i guess because we move on to our main topic, which is we saw the new movie that came out this weekend called The Chase with Charlie Sheen and Christy Swanson. I like Christy Swanson. You might remember her from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that is why I like Christy Swanson. I love that movie. And she's also in the movie. This is sort of a, a reunion of the movie Hot Shots. She's also in the movie Hot Shots as, uh, and, as is Charlie Sheen and... Carrie Elways, who is the guy from The Princess Bride, and he was uh, one of the reporters, one of the news anchors. Yeah, he's a nice-looking guy. Yeah, he is. Carrie Elways is a nice-looking guy. What about Charlie Sheen? Yeah, he is, too. He looks a lot like his dad, Martin Sheen. Well, he is not. He was when he was younger, though. I'm sure, but just saying. Anyway, so, The Chase. Why don't you tell us a little about The Chase? I like this movie. I mean, I know it's corny and cheesy and unrealistic and, you know, you can say a million things about it, but... It's it's a hyper-realistic film. It's so cute. It's, yeah, it's okay. I I didn't like it as much as you did. I liked it a little bit. It It wasn't bad. I would probably see it again at some point. I think what's good about it is that, you know, it's good for couples because it's got the romance factor. Right. And it's got a lot of action to it. That's true. It's definitely worth seeing. I think it's probably the best thing that's come out. Uh, I I looked at that other movie, Greedy, Uh with Michael J. Fox and Kirk Douglas. And eh, it's not that great. I like Michael J. Fox a lot because I'm a big fan of Back to the Future. But unfortunately, Michael J. Fox has... And Doc Hollywood, I like that movie. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Unfortunately, Michael J. Fox hasn't been able to be in a lot of good 
movies in recent years for whatever reason. But, yeah, that didn't look that very good. So this is probably the best movie that came out this week. It's... I wouldn't say the movie's unrealistic. I would say the movie is hyper-realistic. Where it's... It, it's a distorted reality. Okay. I don't think this movie takes place in our universe. What? Even though... Even though... It looks like our universe. I think this movie takes place... It, I think this movie's kind of satire. If it was written a little differently, I think this movie could be brilliant, to be honest with you. I don't think it quite reaches the brilliant level. But if they had leaned more into this, I think it could have been a brilliant movie. But basically, it's our universe just turned up to 50 where out of 10 where it's everything is completely hyper realistic but to tell everybody sort of the basic plot of the movie okay so christy swanson and charlie sheen end up in a gas station at the same time just just happens this way um they kind of share a look or whatever while they're walking through the store and they're at the counter checking out the police come in and it turns out they're looking for Charlie Sheen's character. Because he stole the car that he's in. Right. So he ends up grabbing her and, um, you know, taking her hostage, having her drive her car with him in it. Or no, he, that's, that would have been the smart thing. No, he, he takes her car, but he's driving. Right. And we find out later that he didn't even have a gun. He, he kidnapped her using a Butterfinger. Right. So, you know, I mean, he, he obviously was not planning anything like this. Um, there, it should, we should point out, and this is part of the hyper-realism, they're in Newport Beach in California, which is well known as a small, very wealthy community. My, I have an aunt and uncle that live in Huntington Beach, which is very close to Newport Beach, and I think Pebble Beach is around there, or, you know, some the the beach communities and all of them are pretty high class usually smaller especially Newport Beach has a very vibrant like socialite type community okay so if you if you picture what like picture snooty california socialites that's basically Newport Beach and they have a small police department so that's sort of it lends a little more credence to kind of how they handle the situation. They're not used to this type of stuff. Right. I mean, this turns into a, a big police chase. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they're driving, you know, crazy, um, they're, they're chatting. And at some point, her car phone rings. Yes, that's how rich she is. She has a car phone. Right. And, you know, she's a whiny little rich girl. And at first, it's kind of irritating until you actually hear her dad. And then, uh, and then you feel sorry for her. Her dad he is, is a total dick. Her dad is Dalton Voss, obviously a fictional character, but they they describe him as the Donald Trump of California. So, like the epitome of richness, and you, basically, he's just he's a billionaire. So he's like a rich industrialist in California. And um. Charlie Sheen's character actually sticks up for her when she's on the phone with her dad because her dad, like I said, just being a total jerk, basically blaming her for being kidnapped. Yeah, he berates her while she's in a hostage situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, that makes her kind of warm up to his character. And, 
you know, they, as time goes on, uh, things kind of heat up. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Back it up, back it up. Before before we get to this point, she burned him with a cigarette later. Yeah. And I got to say, I feel sorry for the man because he went into the gas station to get a pack of smokes and some gas. Yep. She burns him with the cigarette later, catches his crotch on fire with the cigarette later. He's telling her to do something about it, so she throws it out the window. Yeah. And he's like, how am I going to smoke now? All this is going on. The man never gets freaking cigarette. No, never. Which comes up at the end, and we'll point that out at the end. But the whole movie is basically the Bickersons in a high-speed chase. Right. <laughs> it's them bickering back and forth with each other, but also falling in love while this high-speed chase is going on. And part of the high-speed chase is Anthony Kiedis and Flea from the band um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the California band. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun little cameo, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so they, they you know, go on this chase on the highway. There's a cops-like TV show going oh, on yeah, at the same time. Funny. Henry Rollins and the bigger guy from... A bunch of different movies. I believe he was in City Slickers. I think he was the one of the the Ben and Jerry's like ice cream guys okay. from City Slickers. I'm pretty sure that's the same guy. They're the cops in the car, and they're sort of giving narration as they're going. Of this is what's this is our procedure. This is you know, and Henry Rollins is this kind of like he's very excited to be on TV, and he's trying to show off, and the other guys also affected by the tv camera but he's trying to play it cool he's yeah. trying to to basically be like i'm the like cool in charge guy and the, their their comedic chemistry is actually pretty good yeah. henry rollins obviously is a musician like flea and anthony kiedis and not a trained actor and he does a really good job in this film so they're filming the entire thing at the same time the traffic copter from one of the local tv stations also begins filming as they're following along, at one point, somebody, one of the reporters, stands on the side of a van. Yeah. <laughs> while they're dri- while they're driving close to a hundred miles an hour, and he's got a camera and a microphone, and he's trying to get a look inside the car and like get uh, Nat- uh, Natalie. That's her name, right? Natalie yeah. Boss. The trying to get her to say something. So dumb. Oh my goodness. But I get the point that the the film's trying to make the the overall point being that the media co- media coverage is big and sensationalized and commercial and it's not about presenting facts or information anymore it's about entertaining first and facts second and if the facts aren't in line with what would be entertainment they augment them or they twist them yeah. and that's sort of what the movie's about there's that what, there's a point where Flea and Anthony Kiedis driving in their pickup truck trying to follow this this chase and trying to crash the car with a hostage in it. I mean, obviously not sanctioned by the police, but just a couple idiots. Right. They, at one point, they jackknife in front of it. They end up rolling over. They get out of the, va- the, the pickup. The, it's not a pickup truck. It's like a monster truck. They get out before, like, the, because of, big truck comes and hits it so they get out before that they don't die but their truck explodes and everything and the guy that's that was doing the traffic report that's now like 
covering this stuff live as he's in the traffic copter says that obviously they were undercover police <laughs> trying to pull this maneuver and it was a bold stunt and, and all this stuff. It, not supported by any facts or any information at all, just wildly speculating. Right. So that's what I mean when I say this is a hyper-realistic world. All this stuff that happens is sort of like it would happen in real life, I guess, but just hyper-realistically. Because, you know, a, a reporter, I don't believe, would just openly speculate like that on the air with not a trained reporter, with journalistic integrity, with absolutely no reason to think that at all. But I could see a traffic helicopter following this event, yeah. and get, at least from a safe distance, and getting it. I can't see a reporter trying to stand on the side of a, a van and get a an interview at 100 miles an hour. That's one of the most unsafe things I've ever heard in my life. I don't know, not as unsafe as what they do in their car. Yeah, that's true. Now, this is one of the most unrealistic parts. When she decides, because I guess he, you know he's been in, in prison and now he might go back and he hasn't been with a woman in a long time. So she's like, hey... She's going to have sex with him. Mm -hmm. Well, he's driving this car at almost 100 miles an hour on the freeway. Yeah, and they do. And when they do have sex, and it's one of those PG-13 type sex scenes where she just makes the motion like she's unzipping his pants because he's wearing jeans. And I guess she takes off her underwear, but she's still got her dress on. Right. Uh, and she's still fully clothed. So they're both fully clothed. And they just have sex like that. As if it's just easy to... Have sex through your zipper. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they, and they play into it. This is the one point where they really play into it. So they make, a, the camera makes a lot of cuts. They shoot at different angles and everything as the car is driving along and she's riding on top of him. And the scenes from outside are all blown out and huge. It's clouds moving way too fast. Uh, along the horizon the sun starts to dip low it's enormous the a bigger sun than you've ever seen in your life <laughs> setting faster than the sun would ever set it's as if the earth has been shifted off its axis it's all the imagery outside is incredibly hyper realistic so that's i think that they sort of had an inkling of an idea of what they wanted to do making this a completely hyper-realistic film. Yeah. And either they did that to excuse all the incredibly improbable things that happened in the movie, or they did it because they were trying to make a point about the media and the sensationalization of the media. I just think they could have leaned more into that aspect of it, and it would have been a better film. Yeah. And maybe... I don't know exactly how you tweak it if you make the characters a little less realistic. Because in the car, they're fairly realistic, and their conversation's fairly realistic. Yes. But anyway. So, it turns out that Charlie Sheen's character used to perform as a clown for kids as a job, because he was between jobs. And this guy was robbing banks dressed up as a clown, and they called him the Red Nose Robber. <laughs> so, one of his neighbors, Charlie Sheen's neighbors, he didn't commit this crime at all. But one of Charlie Sheen's neighbors says that 
she's seen him in a clown costume before. So come take a look. So they get a warrant based on the fact that a neighbor said he had a clown costume, I guess. That's so ridiculous. And they come into his house. They find the clown costume. So they arrest him. Based solely on that. He has no money. There's no... There's no money buried. They don't find any money. There's no new money in his bank account. There's no money he can he can't account for. He's still living because well, he didn't do it. He's still living the same normal life that he always lived. But based on the fact that he is a human being with a clown costume in his house, they arrest him. They take him to trial and a jury finds him guilty. Based on nothing apparently. Uh, they, they talked to his lawyer at some point in the movie, and the lawyer says that the guy that actually did the robberies cut his hand on a piece of paper or something at one of the banks, and they collected that evidence. And the, the, the real bank robber's blood type is AB positive, and Charlie Sheen's character is A positive, meaning they couldn't possibly be the same person, but... That evidence was deemed inadmissible because it was collected poorly. That's ridiculous. So, as I said when we were watching the movie, I said all that is is proof positive he didn't do it. You don't need that in a trial. All you need is to is to express that there's reasonable doubt that he did it. And, and the prosecution's job is to prove it. What did they do to prove that he had anything to do with these bank robberies? That's another part of this hyper-realistic world. It's almost as if in this universe, you're guilty until proven innocent. Right. Like, uh, there's there's um, a TV show that's in syndication called Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm sure some of you people have seen it. On the very first episode of this show, there's a character named Q, and he talks about they're talking about Earth's past, because this takes place way in the future. And he says, Captain Picard says, oh, in this era when instead of guilty and or, uh, innocent until proven guilty, it's guilty until proven innocent. And Q says, yeah, what, makes, what sense does it make to put an innocent person on trial? So anyway, which is, has nothing to do with why it's innocent until proven guilty at all. It, may, doesn't, it doesn't make any logical sense, but... It's almost as if that's what the case is in this world. Yeah, it's ridic- for sure. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so that he, you know, was accused of robbing a bank. He was sentenced the earlier that day, so he escaped from jail. Stole this car because he escaped from jail. Saw the police, panicked, kidnapped her because he didn't know what else to do, and then they're on this chase. So he his plan is to go to Mexico. And towards the end of the movie, she wants to go with him. Can't really blame her. I mean, she has a crap life. I mean, yeah, she's got money, but her dad treats her terribly. She seems like she's really, I don't know, she seems kind of lonely. And now she thinks she's fallen in love. Like, she actually, you know, uses that terminology, which, you know, they just met, so that's kind of dumb. But... Also hyper-realistic. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it makes sense. You know, Stockholm Syndrome, whatever you want to call it. But... So they get to the border... And obviously there's a giant uh, blockade at the border. There are federal police there now because right. this, is, this is a federal domain. So Charlie Sheen stops the car. Then he backs it up. Uh, the police are all in disarray trying to stop him. He finds this 
part in the fence where he can basically, there's like a billboard and a fence at the border and he drives through it. So he gets into Mexico, but he's still just across the border. I don't know how, how many, I don't know how many people know this, but they have those border crossings. Once you get over the border, you're still not technically in Mexico yet. It's still, there are certain, there's a certain amount of space where it's still federal land. Okay. Where it's, you know, we have, they have, they have control. So immediately when you cross the border, you're not in Mexico. You go a little bit, then you're in Mexico. Maybe to prevent exactly this type of situation. Right? Someone getting across, you can't just go across the border and then be face to face with police on the other side of the border and just wave and say, right. you, yeah, you can't get me now. So, <laughs> so at least they get this right because the police do come through the fence and they start to chase him. She says she wants to go with him. He eventually has a change of heart. He stops the car and he says, I can't let you do that. I can't let you throw your entire life away for me. So I'm not going to let you do it. The cops all stop. They've got their guns trained on him. And he tells her to get out, you know. So she gets out. She she gets taken by the police and put by one of their cars in safety. Then they've still got their guns on him. So he's sitting there thinking about what he's going to do. And he flashes back. It's one of those things where it's like my life flashed before my eyes or whatever. But it's all the earlier scenes from the movie. I think it's just to pad out the runtime a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. But he just he thinks about all the things that happened in the movie. And then he's got matches... He lights his cigarette. He had matches that whole time. No, that's part of that's part of how you know that this isn't real. Right, right. Because he actually lights a cigarette with matches, and then he smoke takes a drag. He comes out, and when he comes out, he's got his hand behind his back. It's a big dramatic moment. They're all yelling at him. It's in slow motion. He brings his hand out in the shape of a gun. He doesn't have anything, obviously. They all shoot him. He dies, and then snap. He's back in the car right? with the cigarette in his mouth, unable to light it because he can't. So that's one, that's at least one good bit of foreshadowing that they do in the movie where she throws that cigarette lighter out. It's the one clue at the end where it's like, this isn't real because he didn't have anything to light his cigarette with. Uh, So anyway, he gets out with his hands up this time so that they can arrest him. They come, they cuff him and everything. Dalton Voss's... Air or uh, helicopter comes, lands. For some reason, they allow this civilian to walk up in the middle of a police procedure and punch him in the face. Right. Which is just not something that the police do. You can hear Henry Rollins saying, "Oh, you hit you." He's laughing about it. But I mean, he is a billionaire, so you know. Yeah, apparently, they let them do things. Apparently, if you're rich enough, you can do whatever you want. And I'll tell you, they they mention at some point. A Dalton Voss is looking to run for governor of California. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, maybe one of the things that he should run on is increased fencing along the border. Right. Like building a wall along the border. There you go. Anyway, so so he, uh, you know, that would prevent Charlie Sheen from being able to abduct his daughter in the future. <laughs> but anyway, so he uh, starts talking to her and she's trying to tell him he didn't do it. She's convinced at this point that he didn't do this and she wants to help him not go to jail. So I thought at at this point, I thought what was going to happen is Mm -hmm. that Charlie Sheen was going to get taken to jail. A couple months goes by. Her dad has won the governorship of the state and 
they've had this big argument and stuff like that. And she's finally broken through to him. I'm not a little girl anymore. I know what I'm talking about. Treat me with respect. And he pardons Charlie Sheen. Oh, that would have been cool. I thought that's what was going to happen. Because they set up the fact that he was thinking about running for governor, which goes nowhere. But they set that up early. And I thought that was how it was going to go. Because I thought, okay, he's a governor. He can pardon him. So he's going to pardon him for all his crimes. And then he's going to get out and they'll be together. That's what I thought was going to happen. It doesn't. What happens instead is that Natalie Voss, uh, Christy Swanson, grabs one of the police officer's guns and takes the reporter from the cops-like show hostage. (laughs) She shoots with one bullet. She just shoots at her dad's helicopter and it explodes in a giant fireball from a very long distance away. It's completely unrealistic. If helicopters were that fragile, then there'd be a lot more deaths. Anyway, so she does that. And she says, let him go, uncuff him. They uncuff Charlie Sheen. She drags the guy to the other helicopter that has landed, which is the traffic copter from the uh, the TV station that we've seen the entire film. So she lets the one guy go and she takes hostage the, the reporter with the video camera. Then she... Pull, you know, she gets him to get out of the helicopter. Her and Charlie Sheen go in the helicopter. The pilot's trying to get out. She puts her gun on him and says, no, you're not going anywhere. Fly us, you know. So he gets up, or he, you know, lifts off the helicopter, and they fly off, basically. Now, they have no other way to really follow them in a helicopter at this point, I guess. So it cuts to the end of the film, which is them, like, sitting in a resort next to each other. There's Mexican music playing. They've got drinks in their hand, and they're kissing or whatever. Happy ending for them. Not sure exactly how she got access to any of her money. <laughs> they don't really explain that, but I guess right. she did somewhere because they're clearly living a pretty good lifestyle. And it's it's probably conceivable or believable to me that they could get, with a helicopter, they could get far enough into Mexico where the police just couldn't go after them anymore. Yeah. And we don't have an extradition treaty with Mexico, famously. So the Mexican police could arrest them if they want to, and they could spend their life in a Mexican jail. But that doesn't happen, uh, presumably, because she's got access to all this money, and she just bribed them because there's some corruption that goes on down there. For sure. So anyway, they, uh, they end up happily ever after. And that is the end of the film. What did you think of it overall? Like I said, I think that it was really, really cute. Um, I think it was a cute love story. It was good. It was... It was. I think the movie is better on paper than it was on film. And I don't know if that is the fault of the director or the writer or what, but I think the idea... If they were going with the ideas that I'm, that I'm outlying about the, the media and everything, I think the movie looks better on paper than it was on film. But it's okay. And I think it could have been better with some tweaks here and there. But we will end this episode as we end every episode with our blockbuster picks of the week. There are two movies that have come out this week. One is one of my favorites that you can find at Blockbuster now. It is Demolition Man, starring Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock is her name. 
and Wesley Snipes. And basically, it's fun. It, like, this movie is excellent. It's about the future, but basically, it's about how in the future, everyone, like, everything has been sanitized, basically. And everyone has to live a certain way, and all restaurants are Taco Bell. And but they don't serve the kind of food that Taco Bell actually serves. And so, uh, Wesley Snipes plays a criminal who was arrested and put in a cryo prison, which is basically he was frozen until I guess he, he's allowed to come out. I don't know. And Sylvester Stallone is a cop who who basically fought against him during their time period. And he also, because he broke so many rules, got cryoprisoned. Then something went wrong. Cryoprison got shut down or whatever. And they they were put in stasis for I don't remember how many years. Because I, I you know it's been a while. I saw this movie in the theater, but it's been a long time since I've actually seen this movie and mm-hmm. I haven't gone out to rent it yet. I just saw that it was coming out at Blockbuster. So I can't remember how many years, but it's it's a lot of years, like a hundred years or two hundred years or something like that. And anyway, so you know he he under he figures out what's going on. They unthaw him because Wesley Snipes' character got loose, and the police living in this sanitized world have never seen anything like this and don't know how to handle it at all. Actually, I think it's only like fifty years or something like that. And that way, it's a little unrealistic because I think it would have taken more time for all this stuff to happen, but. So he goes after him, and you know they like the police don't even use real guns anymore. They okay. have this like taser like baton, but because everything is so nice and pleasant, and the music they listen to are uh, TV jingles. Hmm. But anyway, so though like there's one thing that I that I don't really agree with about the future. In the future, apparently you can't swear or anything, and every time you do, you get deducted one credit. So he's like he swears a bunch in the movie, and he's always getting uh, these defines for for swearing. I can't imagine a world in which, you know, something that somebody says can be like you know judged and like that that could take them down basically. You know what I mean? Like where where like speech is so limited that you have to watch everything you say. Well, I'm sure it's like that in some countries. I mean, just because sh- we have freedom of speech doesn't... I'm, yeah, I'm just saying I can't see. I think freedom of speech is so is such a vital part of this country. I can't imagine a future in which someone could swear or say something off color and then it's, you know, it's over for them. Right. Kind of thing. Anyway, so that is Demolition Man. A very good movie that you should check out. It's got a lot of action. It's got a lot of humor. So if you're into that, you can check that one out. Carol uh, has got one that's a little more thrilling. My pick this week is The Good Son with uh, Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. Yep. And uh, get to see him in a little less of a cute light this time around. Absolutely. It's a much different role. Although, I mean, you got to say in, in Home Alone, he did do some pretty, pretty scary, torturous stuff just in a comedic manner. Um, I guess that's around. true. I'd never really yeah. thought about that, but yeah, yeah, it is pretty sadistic, some of the stuff that he does. Right. 
So maybe it was practice for this. But yeah, so Elijah Wood's character, um, his mom dies, and he goes to stay with the Macaulay Culkin's family while his dad's away on business. And this kid, like, has everybody fooled. They think that he is, you know, this great little angel boy. He's basically a sociopath. Yeah. But he's actually, like, doing terrible things. Like, he kills the neighbor's dog and causes a car accident. And so this poor kid who's already been through so much has to try to, like, warn everybody. Um, Very just chilling, chilling performance. Um, I I really enjoy it, but you got to definitely be in the right mood. It's a good, it's definitely a good film. It's, it's a a good old fashioned thriller. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to think about somebody has a son who's going to grow up to be a, this guy's going to grow up to be a serial killer. For sure. We won't spoil what happens in the movie, if he gets away with it, if he fools everyone, if he doesn't, or or what happens in the film. Because if you haven't seen it, you should go to Blockbuster and check it out. Right. But this character is absolutely going to grow up to be a serial killer. (laughs) So it's interesting to think about bringing someone new into this world who has maybe a slightly different perspective and is around the same age and is with him all the time. Mm-hmm. He can't really hide what he's doing from him. And it, in the movie, it's almost kind of like he gets off on him being the only one that knows it. Right. Like he wants someone to know how sadistic he is. He just doesn't want to get in trouble for it. And he enjoys the lying. But Macaulay Culkin, I don't, he, he, I think he'll grow up to be a very good actor. Yeah. Because. He's cute and funny. He's got good comedic timing in the uh, Home Alone movie that came out a few years ago. But he's this is a totally different role, mm-hmm. totally different emotional like palette, and a much different skill set as an actor. And he nails it. He's oh, yeah. excellent in this movie. And yeah, so this is just, I mean, just even watching it for Macaulay Culkin's performance in this movie is well worth it but it's a really good enjoyable thriller so yeah go go check it out and demolition man and either one of those movies you will have a a good weekend with your sweetie pie or or whatever (laughs) or your best bud right uh but anyway that is our episode for today so come back next week we will uh be you know giving out these these tapes next week as well so come back next week to Lockers if you want some more massive late fee. As always, if you want to donate a dollar, leave it into Carol's Locker. If you want to tell us how great of a job we're doing and everything, you can do that by going to my locker. Like, you know, I whatever you want to do. You want to do stars, you want to do hearts, whatever you <laughs> want to do. Give us five stars and... and Tell us uh, everything that we're doing great. Or if you have suggestions for the show or things you'd like to hear, things you'd like us to do, things you'd like us to talk about, things you don't think we're doing great, you can also do that. And tell, tell a friend. To give give the tape to a friend. Yes, share yes. Share it with all your friends so that we can reach as, as many people as possible. We're going beyond even our little friend group here, which is nice. Yep. But we'll be back next week. Uh, I can't remember. I, I don't remember the newspaper, what exactly we're going to see. But we'll be seeing something next week. And we're getting closer to the the hot times of the spring and summer when a lot of big movies come out. So that'll be exciting, too. Oh, yeah. But until next week, you guys have a good week. And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.